so firstly, thank you so much for the feedback from last week's um, sex message. <laughs> I don't think I ever got as much commentary uh, and messages, but great. If you're wondering what the sex message is and your first time here, you can find out on our website. Um, we are in a series called Revelation Wisdom, and we're looking, uh, as we are with a whole year, uh, around the book of Revelation. Um, it is a book that is not just about the prophecies and weird things that are going to happen in the future, but it is also a book that provides us wisdom. Because when you see what the final picture is, you're able to live your life um, to build towards it. It's going to be a tricky session again today. So I need you to do two things before we start. One, you're going to have to take notes if you're going to take anything out of today because it is going to be a little bit complicated. And then secondly, if you could turn to the person next to you and then go, hey, I need a study partner for today. Pick somebody smart. I don't know. Pick somebody around you and just go, hey, I need a study partner today because we are going to cover the topic of power. We're going to cover the topic of power, and um, today is going to be a little bit, I mean, it's a wisdom series, so I'm hoping you'll learn things, all right? And you're going to be learning about power dynamics, the power lens, and things like that. It might be a little bit complicated, but it is more simple than you could imagine. Power is basically the ability to act or to have effect or influence, okay? So, for instance, uh, if a car has power, it can move, all right? This, uh, this lectern can't move. I have power. I can move it. I am so powerful, okay, right? So power is just simply defined as the ability to act. In fact, there, this table, act, uh, this lectern actually has some power. That's why it can hold things. It can do, there's things it can do, all right? I want you to write down on your piece of paper when you're, because uh, it'll get a little bit complicated today, but I want you to write down as you're taking notes, I have power. I have the ability to act. That's all of us. The, the world and today's narrative might tell you that you are powerless, that you are a victim of all kinds of things. But I, I want to put it to you that we live in a day and age where we, and in a country that is pretty well off, we live in a day and age and a time where we have some of the most ability to affect and to make choices. We do. All right? Um, and even if you don't have that ability, you yourself, right now, you are not the lectern. You made a choice today. You've come. You can choose what you're going to say. You can choose what you're going to do. That is power. Um, today, we're going to be looking at power. We're going to look at how it's shaped our world today. We're going to look at a lens um, we're going to look at a lens for even evaluating power. And I, I want to begin by just telling a bit of a story. For me, it's a classic story. If, you, if you're a bit younger, you've maybe never heard it. But when I was doing my MBA and we were all studying power dynamics and various other things, this was the classic example. All right? It is the Challenger, the NASA Challenger Space Shuttle Crash. 
Let me just tell you a little bit about that story. 1986, all right, the Challenger Space Shuttle had already gone on nine flights. This was their 10th flight up. And obviously, it takes a lot of power to get a rocket ship up to space, right? The engineers that were involved in another company, the engineers that were working on that had some concerns about one of the parts in that shuttle because it was not going to operate well in cold weather and it had been very cold in Florida at that time. And so the engineers warned their managers, hey, something is wrong. The managers thought, we are the ones in power, right? And we have a deadline. The whole world is watching us. We need to get this thing launched. It's already a pre-committed launch day. And you're telling me like the day before or the morning of, because they had a bunch of meetings, right? That we need to stop this. We'll delay it for one hour. That's what they did. They delayed it for one hour. They saw a little bit of the ice melt and then they went ahead. And so the engineers... Uh, they said, hey, we need to do something. The management decided to have a meeting and exclude all of the engineers in the room. And then they met with NASA and said, hey, I think we can go ahead. Then the NASA um, people, um, the managers there decided, hey, you know what? We're not even going to pass on the warnings that are on from our engineering department. And we're going to report to the government and to the world that we're all good to go. You know why? Because we have the power. We are in charge. We determine whether this thing goes or no go and it's mission go and we all go, right? And you can Wikipedia it. You can Google it later after the service, right? But it's classic because then the space shuttle took off. 70-something seconds later, it exploded. And very quickly, the people who decided that they had power, discovered they didn't have power. It turned out physics and God's laws had the ultimate power. That, that, that whatever we decided, whether we decided it was okay and, oh, I need to make my boss happy and I need to, whatever the thing was, when it came down to the crunch, the more powerful effect took place. The more powerful effect took place. And that, why I, I tell that as a bit of a story is because the book of Revelation uh, talks about a more powerful effect. That means we might think of our world in terms of, oh, I got to make my teacher happy. I got to make my parents happy. I got to make my, my way in this world. I've got to do all these things in the world system. But if we don't take into account who is the creator of this world, if we don't take into account who we're going to uh, meet, who is going to judge the whole world, we might get the power lens wrong. We might be misinformed about where power lies. So you might be thinking, and I know a bunch of people actually asked me, because we had people join in our church since... Uh, the beginning of the year when I covered the book of Revelation. So I actually had a few people ask me, oh my goodness, you're talking about like sex and marriage and all these things, and you're pointing to the book of Revelation, but why on earth would anybody believe the fantasy stories that are in the book of Revelation? So I'm going to do a one-minute recap 
of why I think we need to take the book of Revelation very seriously, right? The book of Revelation um, is apocalyptic in nature. It's God's guiding his, God is guiding history to a final goal, which God himself will bring about in the near future in a particular way that he has revealed himself. That's what we covered in the beginning series. I've repeated this several times in the beginning of the year. You can go back and listen to those sermons. But why should we pay any regard on it? Because biblical prophecy is different from YouTube prophecy. Biblical prophecy is different from a forwarded WhatsApp message you have gotten from a friend who lives somewhere else, okay? Because of this one person, Jesus Christ. Why should you take the Bible seriously? Because the Old Testament contained prophecy, apocalyptic prophecy, just like the book of Revelation did. And it culminated in the arrival of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, when he arrived, was like no other. And when he was born, which we're celebrating at Christmas, um, and when he died and rose again, it not only fulfilled all the prophecies that were written in the Bible, it transformed our world today. That's power. It overtook the predominant ruling nation of its time in Rome, and it changed our, our world. Ask yourself why we even divide time by before Christ and after Christ. Why does that happen in all countries that aren't even Christian? Because it made such a lasting impact on our world culture. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you can't ignore the fact that the Bible said some things, it ended up taking place, and it changed our world. And now we're looking at the stuff that the Bible is saying for the future. And I get that there's skepticism, but there was skepticism as well in the Old Testament days when they were talking about Jesus. All right? Our anchor verse for the whole year is Revelation 1, 5 to 6. And it goes, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us, which is why we did the seven love letters, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Today doesn't really work if you think you're the one in power. If you're sitting here and you think, I am God, I'm pretty much God. I determine everything. Today's sermon is not going to make much sense to you because you're going to think, I determine my own future. I do all these things. And at the end of the day, I account to nobody. It's just me. Um, I want to posit to you that you are not God, that God is God, and that we are dealing with a world that he has created with physics that he has created, with laws that he has created that actually supersede anything we might think of how the world is supposed to work or what we would like to do with it. All right? So that's why when we take a look at Revelation, we see God's ultimate plan and it helps us to make decisions now in light of the future. We're covering three big topics, right? Uh, last week we did sex, today we're doing power, and next week Roger is doing glory sex power glory these things have shifted and shaped our world history 
across time. We're not talking about trivial topics. We're talking about very, very big topics. They're major themes in the book of Revelation, but I would put it to you, they're also major themes in our lives. How many wars have been fought over struggling of power and ego? How many um, conflicts and, and things have, have occurred in our world history over intimacy and sex and love and these types of things? Uh, and for glory and honor, you know, uh, fame has driven so much of our economy and our social system and our lives, all right? Um, so anyway, those three topics are what we're doing. Um, I'm just doing a quick recap from last week's sex talk because I got quite a lot of um, questions. Um, I didn't go into a lot of, this is the Bible verse that says why you can't do this or why you should do this. I didn't go into a lot of specific Bible verses and lots of in-depth, detailed discussions. Part of the reason why I didn't do that last week is because I feel like that entire approach is wrong. That means if your approach is, tell me the Bible verse and then I will not do it. I, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've now discovered that doesn't work because we just tell people Bible verses. They don't care. Nothing happens. Right? And if you were to live your life on just these particular Bible verses, you're having a very legalistic view of life, it won't go well with you. It won't. Because there will be no Bible verse that talks about porn. There will be no Bible verse that gives you advice actually on specifically which job to take and how to... If you live your life that way, it will go poorly for you. Because part of the Bible's um, a role is to lead you in the way of wisdom. That means the Bible contains stories, wisdom sayings, instructions, commandments, sure, letters, sure, apocalyptic imagery, sure. But they're all together to point you to a way of wisdom. All right? That's why I tried to emphasize less on the individual Bible verse that says this. Having said that, a bunch of people ask me, where in the Bible does it say we can only have one wife? Where, did, where in the Bible did it say that we cannot have sex before marriage? Where in the Bible does it say that porn is bad? Whatever. Uh, these are the gist of the Asian questions I got after the, the story. Brilliant. So what you need to do is you need to ask, if you're wondering those things, you need to ask me or uh, email our church, right? And we've got these articles, and so basically what I'll do is I'll just forward you these long articles that you can read with Greek words and Hebrew words and all, right? Brilliant. And you can, um, and then we can also have uh, extended debates, but I was not going to do that on the Sunday service. In our Sunday service, I'm going to try to lead us on a broad way of wisdom, all right? So that was last week. Because wisdom realizes that all things are connected. All right? The fool says, hey, what I do now affects nothing. I don't need to study for my exams tomorrow. Right? Or, or whatever it is. Right? We, we talked about that last week. Um, that's why we said as a bit of a summary of our sex intimacy talk last week, that actually marriage, which is the marriage picture in the book of Revelation, um, our marriages and our intimate relationships are supposed to be a testimony for God and His church. That means it's supposed to be full of love, of forgiveness, just like God has, uh, of commitment, of um, hesed and emet, which is like faithful love and covenantal love, right? It's supposed to be 
reflective of those things versus the prostitute, which is the major um, imagery used in the book of Revelation, which doesn't have faithfulness. It doesn't um, have all of those committed relationships and the like. Okay. So today, great, in 15 minutes. um, So I'm going to go to 45, 11.45. But by 11.30, I'm going to stop wherever I am, hopefully, and get right into the application. Um, Today's anchor verse is Colossians 3.17. And it says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I want you to see, when you see those words, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, all of that, just cancel it out and write power. That's what power is. Power is the ability to do something or to affect something. Right? So that verse basically says, whatever power you have, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. That's one way to read this verse. Okay, with a power lens. You have power, you have the ability to act, you can make a difference, you can do things. All right. Let's do a quick history in our world. I I really like this because I like history. I've read a lot of history books. Um, um, Anyway, uh, I can recommend you some books uh, later on if you want, actually. Um, But let's do a quick history of our world and power in our world, okay? I know there's a few big words in there, uh, and then there's words in Chinese, which is fantastic, right? But there's physical force, coalition, resources, technology, information, narrative. All of them have power. Let's talk about them. So way back when, way back when, if you were powerful, you were strong, okay? That says, back in the day, the biggest muscles one. Too bad if you were a kid. Too bad if you were a woman. Too bad if you were weak. Uh, maybe you have asthma or something like that. Tough luck. There's basically the big guy's going to come around, clobber you into submission, and do whatever he wants. All right? That was, the, that was our early days as humanity. All right? Then we discovered... The power of group and communication amongst our human species enabled us to work together as a coalition or a group. And so then humanity was able to take down mammoths, build farms, build cities, right? Became powerful because we were not just one person. So it didn't matter now if you were strong. Because one strong guy couldn't beat a hundred weaklings together. Couldn't. Right? So coalition power or group power increased. Then what happened is groups take resources. Right? So if you've got a big group of people, you need to feed them. Right? We know this at FGA. That's why KFC and Pizza Hut uh, Domino's are on speed dial. Okay, because if you have a group, you need resources. So what happened in the history of power, I'm just giving you examples. You can go back and do some research if you want, right? But in the history of power, we discovered then that it was not just let's get a big group of people together. How do we fund that group? How do we feed that group, right? One of the most iconic instances um, was Napoleon Bonaparte in his invasion of Russia, 
right? A big, big, big story, right? Uh, War and Peace by Tolstoy, which I, I was reading, fantastic book, right? But it's all based around that. But Napoleon Bonaparte, big army, massive. He goes all the way to Russia. He gets there, no food. He's in Russia. He's fighting everybody. They live there. They've got their own farms. They've got their own resources. He's gone. Why? Because whoever has the most resources can get the most people fed or armed or whatever it is, and then they're powerful. Then came the technology revolution, okay? I'm just giving you a quick history of, you know, like our world, nothing to do with the Bible yet. This is our real life, okay? So then you got the world wars and you got the, the development of a sea power and air power and nuclear bombs or whatever else it is. But technology meant that actually one guy with a drone or, or, or one small army with planes. So you've got like Japan, that's a tiny country. So you've got, right, you've got all these places that can leverage technology and influence a war. All right? So you saw the rise of technology. Then came information. Information then became powerful because you needed to know where to direct your technology. You needed to know. Where is Osama bin Laden hiding or whatever it is, right? You saw the rise actually of the intelligence agencies, the James Bonds of the world, right? The CIA, uh, the KGB, the MI6 or whatever it is, right? Um, you saw the rise of the intelligence, the counterintelligence and the intelligence agencies. This is a picture of Alan Turing's uh, Enigma machine that broke the code, right? And you saw the, the, the power that information could have in our world that would then shift technology, which would shift the resources, which would shift the group, which would shift the brute force. Do you see that? And now we're in the age of the narrative power. And what's happened is everybody has got on their own little device, a phone that can record or, or, or people are telling stories all around. They're sharing it on WhatsApp or on, on various social networks and the like. And now it doesn't matter whether you're actually the biggest country around. It doesn't really matter whether you, you're, you've got the technology or the one. You need to win the battle of the hearts and minds of people. You need to win the battle of the hearts and minds of people. So we're seeing these revolutions like the ones that take place in Egypt or even what's kind of happening a little bit in Hong Kong right now is all kinds of news. Fake news is coming. Real news is happening. People are taking videos of right on the ground. These are the fights of power that are taking place in our world today. All right, that's just a quick, I don't know, five-minute Overview of power, the history of power for us. This, by the way, is present in the book of Revelation as well. You see these, mankind has not changed that much. The Bible, despite being written thousands and thousands of years ago, still accurately portrays the kind of people we are. That's why it's still relevant today. That's why smart people are still reading the Bible and are still changing their lives and, and letting the Bible affect their lives, all right? The book of Revelation is not just willy-nilly prophecies of crazy stuff. It reflects actually what the future reality is going to be. And it's contained in it great descriptions of what's wrong with us. That's why you'll see 
coercion in there. You'll see a lot of conquering, killing, destruction. You'll see coalitions. The false trinity rise up. There'll be the beasts. There'll be the false prophet. They'll all gather their armies together. You'll see the, in resources, you'll see in the economy, one of the prophecies in there says that, that the daily goods will end up being um, taxed. But the rich stuff, like the wine and the um, stuff, they won't be taxed. And it talks about the increasing uh, inequality of, of money in the book of Revelations. Then you talk about expert and, um, knowledge and technology, right? And you've got the, the mark of the beast is coming in and nobody can buy or sell without having the mark of the beast. And so whoever owns that type of technology controls the world. Right? So all you see all these power plays are coming out in the book of Revelation. You'll see information of the Antichrist and the false prophet providing false information. And ultimately, you're seeing deception as the overarching narrative of our world. And one way, um, just to link it to last week's sermon, one way for you to sort of mentally go, oh yeah. Our world and narrative is so different from the Bible. One, one way to just make that link is to go, in our culture and in our world today, are we more, when we think of love, do we more think of the prostitute or the bride? We've got shows like Love Island and pornography is on the rise. We've got, right? All you need to do is think, hey, in the narrative of our culture that we all live in right now, are we celebrating singing songs of watching shows of sharing images of things that relate to God's narrative in his picture or Babylon and the prostitute of the things that we talked about last week? And I think you'll find that these are the days that the book of Revelation talks about where the narrative, the stories we tell of how we're supposed to live our lives and what we're supposed to do with our lives and the like, it's being decided by the evil one. And that's why I think the book of Revelation gives us wisdom for going forward. And it all comes down to, so you've got all these different power plays. Uh, I, I I don't know if you're, if you're keen observers of um, organizational behavior, you'll notice I've deliberately lift, left out one source of power. So I've named all the major sources of power and I've left out one. Um, and that's because God holds that. And so in Revelations 19, 11, it says this, that, um, that there, there comes this big battle. All the world amasses their power all of their force, their resources, their deception, their technology, their whatever it is, all come up against God. And I saw the heaven open and before a white horse and the one sitting was called faithful and true. And, righteous, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. And, he's, and I'll, you know, we can go on. And, um, and basically there's this massive battle. And God defeats them all. That ultimately, all of man's opinions and all of man's technology and all of man's resources, when they come up against God, seem just weak. 
And it's a pretty brutal destruction of the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. It doesn't go that well. Um, Because the beast gets captured, the false prophet gets captured, um, and everyone who receives the mark of the beast and those who worship him, it doesn't go well. That's the future snapshot. Um, um, And it's, it's pretty brutal, right? So the book of Revelation just has graphic imagery in there so that it sticks with us as mankind. And that's why we're still reading these things now. Okay? Um, the one source of power that I missed from that list is what they call legitimate power. That's the power your boss has over you as the owner of a company. Legitimate power. Okay? It's the, the power that... Uh, that um, the legal system conveys to the policeman so that he can fine you for something or whatever it is, right? Legitimate power is the power um, that, that is rightfully con- conveyed, okay, by a system, whatever that system is, right? God has legitimate power. He's the creator of this world. He put all things in motion. How do you think gravity was even invented? We haven't even begun to figure out how our own bodies, let alone our eyes, or whatever it is, works. So God has legitimate power. Next, you need to understand then that we, all of our power is actually delegated. That means while we have power and we can affect, we can move this lectern, we can do whatever it is we want to do, right? We only get it because God has given it to us. Right? That's like a policeman has got delegated power. A policeman cannot just willy-nilly make up any rules they want and say, Hey, uh, I don't like the, the, the color of the shirt you're wearing. $200 fine. They can't because all the power that a policeman has has been given legitimately to him by the rules of the land, right? It's delegated to him. He can't go outside of that. That's us. All of humanity, actually. And so you get to Revelation 11, verse 15. And it says that the day will come when all the kingdoms of this world, all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever. That means there will come a day when all this delegated power, all of this that He's given to us, He comes and He takes back. Because that's it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all the things that you have done with the resources I've given you, with the life I've given you. You've had your goal. Now, when revelation comes, it's judgment day. And so you see in the book of Revelation a picture of God's legitimate power. All right? And what is this picture that we see? It's the picture, actually, of the lion and the lamb. That means the lion who is so strong and mighty, the king of the beasts. At the same time, you cannot think of a more weaker thing than the baby lamb. Because God, in the height of his power, sacrificed himself 
for us. That means instead of using all of our mankind type ways of coercion, force, resources, all these, whatever it is, he actually wielded his own character and said, who I am, God is love. Who I am is more powerful. And so you see this as a picture in Revelation 5, 11 to 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders of many angels, myri numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is who? The king, the, the mighty warrior, the whatever it is. No, the lamb. The lamb who won multi-victories, who has the most resources with the latest technology. No, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What you see in the book of Revelation is this very counterintuitive to our way of thinking, a counterintuitive view of how power works and how everything is going to be resolved at the end. You get a picture that all power is with Jesus. But with that power, he uses it to like what Jesus did at the end of his ministry. He washed his disciples' feet. Or what he did in our real life. He was born in a manger and he died on the cross for us. So at some level, at some level, if we have been raised with Christ, we are supposed to, if you want to get things right, if you want to get the correct picture, we have to orient ourselves to God's view of power. We have to look at the things that are above or God's way. That means if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. That means in a very powerful place. Set your minds on those things. For you have died, and we've got water baptism, you know, coming up soon. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And Colossians 3 is actually, it's so surprising, but Colossians 3 is actually a picture of how we are to use and wield our power. What? Yeah. That we are supposed to, instead of all those other things that, that the world does, we're supposed to use our free will, our deeds, and our actions, and we're supposed to reflect the most powerful one, the lion and the lamb, that picture in Revelation. So that's why it says, I'm going to go pretty quickly through it. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, right? All these things, the wrath of God is coming right? And do not lie to one another, seeing you've put off the old self, right? So be someone new. Where there is no Greek, no Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, no matter what you are, right? Christ is all in all. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. What are we supposed to do with the free will that we have and the power and the resources and the things that we have? We're supposed to put on all of these things, forgiving one another. And above all of these, let's put on love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in our heart, in which we're called one body. And let's be thankful, all right? And then we get to... This is the verse that I started with for today's sermon. And whatever you do, 
in word or in deed. So it means whatever you're going to use your power for, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Okay? Now, uh, we're four minutes past. Great. Um, now I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, yeah, and I'm going to talk about how that applies. Because even in the book of Colossians chapter 3, after this explanation, Paul goes into practice. How are we supposed to use power? He goes on in that next verse. And wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Born servants. And there are many ver verses like this that are in the letters uh, of the New Testament. But why does the Bible go there? Why does it say, look, your model is Jesus Christ. Set your eyes on the things above. Right? And whatever you do, do it to reflect God and then immediately goes to your family. Immediately. You have a lot of power in your family. Let me just tell you. You have a lot of power in your family. And the first application actually of God's power is before we start changing the whole world, let's be the real thing and let's see if we can affect change in our private lives in our home lives. That's why it goes there, all right? And I just want to, uh, let's talk a little bit about this because you might read this and you might think, oh, wives are not powerful. Wives are not powerful. Or you might be a guy sitting there and you're thumbed down by your wife and you go like, oh, men, today's men, we're not powerful. The women have taken over the world or whatever it is, right? You might be sitting here and you will go, oh, children, oh, we're just children, Oh, my mom and dad, they determine everything. Or you might be a parent and you go, I can't determine it. My children, they run the show. I can't get them to even clean their room. You might be whatever situation. I want to put it to you. You might be looking at that and saying, I have no power. But I guarantee you, you have. That women are powerful in the home. Oh my goodness. Just go and chat to some Asian women. They're powerful. Yeah? They're not happy. No one's happy. Okay. Also, also, men are powerful in the home, right? The, the husband, it could be grumpy mood, doesn't like the food or whatever the thing is, my car, whatever, the technology, this, right? Men are also powerful in the home. Make no mistake, children are powerful. I want to eat my McDonald's now. I want to be on my iPad. You are the worst parent in the world. Whatever it is, oh my goodness. How much money gets spent by children's desires? Why do you think McDonald's keeps making like happy meals? <laughs> All right. It's because children are powerful. Oh my goodness. Right? Then parents, you are powerful. Just ask any teenager or any kid. Like, my parents won't let me do this. Oh, they don't give me money. I'm suffering. I'm, I'm suffering in, in, in my air-conditioned room, you know, with my iPad, you know, whatever it is. They feel like the parents have all the power. I want to put it to you this. The thing that you wrote down in your piece of paper today, I have power. That means you're looking at where you are in your home. Are you a husband? Are you a wife? Are you a child? Are you a parent? Are you a master? Are you a slave? Are you the boss? Are you a servant? Because instead of saying you are powerless and somebody else has to take a look at the power God has given you. Because one grumpy wife, one grumpy husband can actually 
shift the balance of the whole family. It can. So can an uncooperative child. If you're a teenager, you're a child here, and you're listening, you think, oh, I'm in this terrible family. You know what? You might be the reason why this family is terrible. <laughs> yeah, because you're powerful. And you want to play computer games. You want this, you want this, whatever it is. Maybe the things you want that you're using your power to get are bad. Or maybe you're the parent. And you're using your power not for good, not for the kindness and the forgiveness and the reflecting of things of Christ. You're using your power to, oh, I better get, you know, three doctors and one accountant. They better all go to Melbourne Uni because it's the best university. You know, like whatever it is, right? I better use my power and make sure like I can stand tall with my friends when I'm boasting or whatever it is, right? Like what are we doing with the power we have? Because I guarantee you in a, in a text like this, you have power. You do. We're not, we're not talking about cavemen, right? Where women have zero say and children have zero say. and they are prob- We are now living in a day and age where each one of us are able to affect so much in our world. And so we need to wield this power carefully. That's why I think this is an important sermon. That's why I think Revelation has actually a lot of wisdom and insight for us. And so I'm going to end and I'm going to, um, um, so and this one is for uh, workers, right? But Colossians 3, 4, 1 ends with this. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That's your clue. That when the Bible talks about all of the power and all the things that we could be doing, we're actually, it's delegated power. Actually, we don't run our home. We all are going to be accountable to a master that we have in heaven. So we are to live our lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Lord. We are to wield our power to reflect the things above, to reflect Jesus Christ who is Lord of all, who is going to win the final battle, to whom all kingdoms are going to go. Do you see that? That's what we're supposed to do, wherever you are. So let's go, some practical topics in 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Uh, I'm gonna, now, maybe not every single thing will apply to you. That's fine. Maybe you can only leave today and you're only going to write down one of the practical things that I'm going to talk about but I'm hoping it'll change your life. Okay, so here we go. What power do we have? Now that I've established a little bit of a power lens, and I know it's a tricky topic, so you're turning to your study partner, right? You're like, are you following along? Brilliant, great. Okay, here we go. Coercion. How do we use force? you're writing down how do I use force you're thinking I I don't use force of course you do you put your foot down on some things sometimes you lose your temper right sometimes you just insist fine it's the last straw bang what is that what is that what do you use it for to make sure nobody has a, a phone on the dining table that I insist on everybody, no phone on the dining table. That's it. 
Or do you use your force to go, we are not going to stand up for injustice anymore. Everybody, we're going to be volunteering. And this is the last straw. What things rattle you so much that you would use your coercion? What is it? Are they the things of God that raise you up for th- in, in, in anger or injustice or whatever the thing is? Or is it just things that irritate you? You can't stand anymore. I told you we have to leave in 10 minutes. It's 15 minutes. I've had it. I'm driving off. And so we've used our force. We all have it. We all have coercive force. Oh my goodness. I'm just trying to help us see it. So that everything we say and we do reflects Christ. Coalition. What does our group do? What do you do with your group of friends? What do you, okay, great. There's a whole bunch of you. You all can now get a Groupon deal together because you're, 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 you click frenzy, you hit a certain amount or you whatever it is, right? What, what does your group do? When you decide, do you use your group power to decide the best place to eat? Is that, is that what your group power is for? Airline ticket sales. And so your whole group, they message you when there's a cheap sale going on. FGA, we are a group. We are a group. We're a pretty powerful group. We are. We're pretty influential. So what are we going to use? All of us gathering together. We're a force. We could hit Box Hill Central and over time develop a partnership with the shopping center, with the council, with the policemen. We could affect the place for good. We could. What are we going to use our group power for? That's what we have to think about. What are we, where are we redirecting our money? Where are we using our resources? Because I tell you, we are well resourced. One of the things I like about what the Bible has to say about the use of resources is it talks in terms of percentages. I like percentage talk. I'm an accountant. Okay? Because all of us come from different walks of life. Some of us are, are, have more resources. Some of us have less. Uh, but I actually don't really care whether you are a teenager or you're a retiree or you're a working person. We need to think about the percentage of how we're using our resources. So if you're a teenager and 100% of your resources goes to new shoes and the Pokemon game that just came out, you're using your resources wrongly. You're using it wrongly. God's been blessing you. You're in a home where maybe your parents even give you pocket money. Take some of that and help the poor. Do something with your resources. And it doesn't matter then whether you grow up to be much richer and have much more resources. Think about in terms of percentages. God has blessed me with so much. What am I doing? Am I spending all of it? Like we live in an age now. I'm an accountant, right? So we live in an age now where we spend even more than we have. It's called borrowing. And so then when we think about, oh, what have I got? I actually have nothing to give spare because you know why? I've pre-committed my resources for myself. I've pre-committed already. So I have all these debts. I'm going to pay my interest. By the time it's left over, i got nothing. Fine. But you think about, all of us think about 
How are we using the resources percentage-wise that God has given us? Because that affects how we are wielding our power. Expert. What expertise has God given you? I mean, I take a medical mission trip to Philippines. Part of the reason why I do that is so that doctors and dentists can use their expert power and bless the poor. We've got a ton of expertise in this room. Yeah? You could even help an uncle fix their iPhone. That's good. Reflects Christ. <laughs> Information. We have information power. What things are we learning? Are we spending our time learning, you know, makeup tutorial or, or how to, I don't know, level up your Pokemon or whatever it is? Are we growing in, in understanding and getting information about God and the, the things of God? Um, narrative. This is the last one I want to end on, actually. Because I think we uh, don't really think too much about our power of narrative. But what that looks like, and I know I get it. I'm using complicated words, but we're talking about a very serious topic that spans a lot of what we do. And so I don't want to make it so simple. We could just say, God is in control, always follow God. Fine. But we need to break it down into details. Does God have narrative power over your life? What does that mean? Does that, let me break that down. Do you keep telling yourself the same stories? I'm a, I'm a loser. No one, no one loves me. I'm a, I'm a failure in life. And so you're, you're shaping your narrative. Okay, you're shaping your narrative. Oh, I'm, I'm so unloved. I, I can't do anything in life. My everything's trying. Whatever the thing is, right? You have power over the narrative of your life. You really do. What I'm trying to ask you is, are you allowing God to shape that narrative? Are you reflecting God in your thinking of how you view yourself and your life? And your, like last week, we talked about a narrative option. For some of you, maybe it was very convicting to hear a sermon about sexual sin. Maybe. And you're thinking, oh, I got to rethink my porn use. I got to rethink my sexual integrity. You can go with God's narrative of redemption. You can say, I was this. That is no longer me. That doesn't define me. It's not who I am. I can ask God for forgiveness. I can turn my life over to Him. There's so many people are doing in the water baptism today. And He can write a new story in my life. Oh, I know I came from an abused home. Oh, I knew I've been always struggling with this. Oh, the you can change the narrative of your life. You can. You can say, today is a day I'm going to put things with God. He's going to shape my life now. I'm not even going to be in control of my own thinking God, take over my mind. Take over my heart. These are things that you, that you have within your control. It's within you. It really is. 
So today, as we close, like I want all of us, if we could, can we, I'm just going to close it. While I'm closing prayer, could you just write down one area, one area, all of us, one area, that we need to change how we use our power. Okay? If it's helpful, you can use some of these topics that I um, have put up here. If it's not helpful, just think like Colossians. Just think husbands, wives, children, parent, employee, boss, whatever. Just think of one way where you will go, um, how can I use the power that God has given me to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What am I going to change in my life today? You can set the tone for your home. Uh, you can. Fathers, you can. you can. You can go to your whole family and go, you know what? I used to be grumpy about all these things. These are all deal breakers for me. God's really convicting me. Other things are going to be deal breakers now. We're going to be concerned about other things, the things of God, maybe. Wives, you can do that. Children, oh my goodness. Children, if you went to your parents and said, today I was convicted and I didn't realize I was shaping the culture of our home so much. I'm sorry for my bad attitude. I'm sorry for whatever. I want to repent of that. And I want to reflect Christ, even as a child in my home, or as a parent in my home. Oh my goodness, those are powerful words. I, I, some parents may not even believe that it's happening if a child comes up to them and says that. That's how much effect it could have. Our church here, we could change the way we think of ourselves and view ourselves as a powerful force for this community. We could. That's all within our reach. We're close. So that whatever we do, we would do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We would represent God's name. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that... Uh, that, that all power resides with you, that you are the model, you're the template of it all. Help us, Lord God, uh, to live our lives um, under you. Thank you for the breath that we have. Thank you for the intelligence that we've got. Thank you for the friends that you've given us, the resources you've given us, the freedom of mobility, the freedom of action. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us, each one of us, to think about what we do with the life you've given us in word and in deed. That we would exert our power for your good to reflect you, the things above. And we commit all of this into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would like prayer,
uh, please feel free to come up. We're happy to chat with you and pray with you. Our ministry team will actually be here uh, and they can pray through maybe some of the things that you want um, breakthrough in. Uh, otherwise, you're welcome to chat outside. And at 12.30, we're going to call everybody back in here and we've got water baptism. God bless you.